Oh, hey, it's you again. Welcome back to Getting It Out Podcast. Whether you're a frequent listener or even just a first timer, I want to thank you for clicking on the episode. I know there's a lot of options, a lot of podcasts to pick through and listen to. And this time you chose Getting It Out. If you like what you hear on this episode or maybe what you've heard in the past, I want to ask you to consider joining the gettingitout.net Patreon, where you'll get early ad-free access to interviews, sometimes weeks before they air. It only costs $2 a month, and hey, once you set it up, it's like making beef jerky in the 90s. You set it, and you forget it. You'll get email updates each time I post an episode exclusive to the Patreon. And though the cost is low for you, your support makes a huge impact on what I can continue to do with gettingitout.net and Getting It Out podcast. If you're interested, check the link in the show notes or head over to patreon.com slash gettingitoutpodcast. Thanks for hearing me out, and enjoy this episode of the show. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode 133 of Getting It Out Podcast. That was Animal House with Unconditionals. A uh, very special band during a very special time featuring uh, the late, great John Barlow on vocals who had uh, truly unique vocals. Not not unique vocals, unique voice. Uh, not just his vocals for the band, but uh, just a unique individual and uh, one that we all cherished very much here in Pennsylvania and uh, I'm sure other places too, but specifically here in Pennsylvania. And uh, it's been a while since he passed, and that's 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 it's truly is a shame. And a lot of us miss him. And uh, it would be interesting to hear what he has to say about what's going on in the world today. And you know, I think sometimes I have a couple of friends who I wish were still around for various reasons, but specifically just to hear what they would think about what's happening in 2020. And John is one of them. Um, if you like Animal House and you haven't heard them before, if you like what you heard there, go check out Doing Great. That's a band that most of the guys that were in uh, Animal House have gone on to do now. Um, subject matter of the songs is a little bit different, but it, sta- it sounds uh, just about as good. So uh, go check out Doing Great. Uh, features, like I said, a few of the guys from Animal House, and you won't be disappointed right along the same vein, and uh, you should check that out. Um, but, f- but for now, why I played that now, uh, I just wanted to. And I think that's what I'm going to start doing more of on Getting It Out podcast. This is playing some songs that I like. And that was one of them. Uh, love that song. Love that band. Uh, unfortunately, we'll never see it again. But hey, that's just the way things are. So before we go too far down that sad road, let's move on. This episode features Brian McTurnan. You might know Brian uh, from several things. Uh, Battery is one thing. Uh, the, the, the hardcore band Battery. Um, you might know him from Ashes. You might know him as, the, as a record producer. Uh, Salad Day Studio, uh, pretty well known. Uh, he's, the guy has tons of fucking great records under his belt. But now he's doing this new band called Be Well, and uh, they got a record coming out at the end of August, and it's fucking fantastic. It's called The Weight and the Cost. It's coming out on Equal Vision Records, and uh, we're, we're talking all about that and a whole lot more. Um, this, was, uh, this was a cool one, so let's get into it. So here we are, back again for another episode of the podcast, 133. Way to go, Dan. You're doing great. Anyway, um, I'm back in my house for the first week in a month, and uh, so far it's been kind of crazy, but also kind of nice. Even though it's a little crazy, it's just nice to be under your own roof again after being away for so long. Even though I was just literally around the corner and I was here every day, to be able to stay here at my house is nice again. Um, I know usually here's the part where I would put in a couple of jokes or something to try to fill time, but that's all that really is, is a time filler, and I don't need that on this episode because Brian and I had a great conversation, and I want you to listen to it, and I want you to first, before we get into that, listen to the song that they, they just had a video drop for, maybe it's just a lyric video, I forget, I, I can't remember, but it, go, go to YouTube, type in Be Well, Morning Light, you'll get this song, but first listen to it right here and then listen to my conversation with Brian, let's just get into this fucking thing, how about that, alright, let's go. 
anymore i was in baltimore for many oh, okay. years i'm in lancaster pennsylvania okay. now you're in baltimore though right yep i'm in baltimore and you become a lifer at this point yeah well you weren't always there right no i am um, i grew up in like the in bethesda which is like a suburb right outside of dc yeah yeah and then and then um and then i was and then i was in boston and then i was in DC and then Beltsville and then it was interesting because we um my wife got a job at the VA hospital in Baltimore and she like I grew up thinking Baltimore was a shithole yeah. <laughs> and uh, and um I uh, you know I mean you 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 come to you'd come to shows and the you know the venues were always in really bad neighborhoods and like just it felt like a rough a rough place so I never like, I never like had a full appreciation for like what a vibrant place it it is. And um, she got a job at the VA hospital, and then like loved being up here. So she made friends up here. And initially, we bought a house in Patterson Park as like an investment property that yeah. we were going to like fix up and sell or rent or whatever. And so when I'd have days off from the studio, I would come up and work on the house, and I just like totally fell in love with it it's like you know it's casual and people are fucking weird and like it just felt you know but dc it's like you can't go to like get a pizza without wearing like a suit jacket yeah yeah <laughs> baltimore you could go to the nicest restaurant in shorts and a t-shirt nobody blinks you know so it's it's kind of my my kind of my kind of town yeah i hear you and uh of course, I'm I'm familiar with all those places you're talking about, and uh, I I was I'm I'm from Pennsylvania, but only York, Pennsylvania, you know. So it's just forty five right, minutes, right, right. forty five minutes north of Baltimore. So I was in I was at Baltimore all the time, and then eventually I I, I yeah. lived there for essentially my whole all of my twenties, and uh, 
near, right near near Patterson Park, Butchers Hill. Um, yeah, lot, a lot of years. Yeah, we were in Butcher's Hill for, for a couple of years as well, well I, right on Pratt Street. I, I say Butcher's Hill, but I was right across uh, right across Fayette in what they call the Middle East neighborhood. But yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we were the, we were the only white people on the block, and it, was, it made for a very interesting few years and a lot of a lot of fucking fun. Probably the most fun I ever had uh, during those yeah. years. But yeah, yeah, it's a funky. You know, it's a like I. I mean, it's funny because it's kind of like it has the best of the best and the worst of the worst. Yeah, and, you sure. know, it's like, it's, and I mean, I, I, I just like, I, I'm never like the weirdest guy in the room here, which just works. for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a high bar. They said, I, yeah. I, I lived in, I lived in Greek town for uh, maybe five or six years. And that, that's, that's just a strange ass place, man. And, you know, and, but it's but only in the way that Greek town is like there's yeah even, even, you, you know we well, call it Smaldemore but everything but it's so different even these stupid little neighborhoods have their dumb little things yeah that you know you go you actually know, my my studio was in Greek town like um for the last couple of years was in the Crown Court Conceal Building right there in Greek town oh wow I didn't know that yeah Do you know that like that yeah yeah that huge that huge warehouse and then um I decided to not. Uh, keep that spot and um, it ended up being it well i was very torn about the decision but now like giving up that the space i had there but with like the pandemic and covid and all this shit like i'm thankful that i did because it, i mean i'm just not in a place where i can like be in a small room with a bunch of like people and you know sure it's yeah. a weird it's a weird time right now well i thought you were down in fell's point I was. So I, my, um, the studio had been, um, I was in Beltsville and then I actually sold that to Matt Squire, who is a, also a music producer and had been in ashes with me when I was a kid. And, and like, he was, he was like, I don't he was like assist, assisting me on records and then recording at his, like a small studio of his own. And then he ended up producing Panic at the Disco. It was like the third or fourth record he ever did, which is like pretty awesome. And it got huge. And he ended up buying my worked out perfectly because I wanted to get out of Beltsville. Like I kind of always felt like Beltsville was where dreams went to die. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and having bands in a place that was like, you know, there was nothing to do. You know, it's like, like I think that it added, attention to um records so i i'd fallen in love with baltimore and and we ended up i ended up buying a huge warehouse right in Fells point like in on like one of the alley streets between fleet and eastern and built the studio there and I was there for a long time uh, and it was fucking awesome it was, but like when my daughter was born and and like to, it just started to wear on me like having a fucking huge like 7,000 square foot building that you're responsible for on top of like records that you're responsible for on top of having a kid yeah. on top of like budgets being so bad that like, you know, I couldn't hire anybody to help me anymore. And like my wife and I were like cleaning the toilets and washing the band sheets and clean. It just, I just got to a point where I just felt like um, maybe that 
I needed some time away from it. So I, um, I sold, I sold the building for a brief time. I moved to a space on Charles street with that a couple friends had a studio in and then ultimately decided to kind of take a step away from music in general for a bit. Right. Right. Well, I, I, I remember you being in, in Fells for a couple reasons. A lot, there were, you know, it have a uh, mutual friends, uh, friends of mutual friends, whatever that would be recording with you. Um, right. And I want to say, let's see, I was 26 when this happened. So it was 26. So that was nine, nine to 10 years ago. Um, he recording, what band was it? What was the guy's name? The guy's name was Brett. I think he was in a band fireworks. Um, fireworks. Yes. Yeah. And he, right. he, he, he was out with, well, he was out with my uh, friend of mine, Fubu, who always seemed to be going over there to pick guys up from your studio. And, right, right. <laughs> and we were out one night and we were getting trashed down at Fells. And I end up getting in this stupid ass fight in the alley, uh, right outside. Like I don't know if it was Sticky Rice at the time, but whatever. I, I got knocked right. out so badly, and and I I remember like I had to wait for for uh, for Brett to come back around in fireworks like another time when they were on tour at the Auto Bar or something. Just be like, all right. So what the fuck happened? Because all I remember is you were there, and then I was unconscious. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my god! And it was bad. Like I had, I had brain trauma, like bleeding on my bleeding on my brain and shit. But yeah, that was. Oh so that's, my god! That's a weird. That's a weird way I associate your studio with, is with me and my brain, my brain trauma. I, I I can't believe I never heard that story. That's fucking crazy. <laughs> um, I love fireworks, man. I love those guys. I love that band. I I think uh, I don't know that I have ever laughed as much ever making a record as I did making the two firework records that I, uh, I got to make. It was pretty, it was pretty fucking wild. Well, the funny thing too about Fell's point is it solved some of the problems that I had in Beltsville, which is bands fucking loved being there. You know? yeah, yeah. And it was, and it was perfect because I have bands flying in from like Japan and Australia and London and Mexico and, they could just literally like show up at BWI, hop in a cab, be at the studio. All the gear was there. They never needed to drive anywhere. They could walk, and you know, like it was like really awesome in a lot of ways. But that's the shit you're talking about, like the <laughs> weird shit that goes on at bars and sells point, and the weird people that would come back to the studio, and the kind of like just some of the craziness that goes along with having a, a place like that in an area like that was I kind of hadn't like planned on that well <laughs> <laughs> definitely ended up in some like real weird shit I, 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 I'm sure of it I, like I said I don't know I, I had so many crazy experiences down there in Fells Point and and just just Baltimore in general but particularly Fells yeah. Point because that's where everybody went to I don't get fucked up and get into weird shit I guess right Right. But, but yeah. despite all this Baltimore talk, that's not actually why we're supposed to be talking right now, right? <laughs> we're talking about your uh, your your new record you got coming out with Be Well. This well, first of all, Be yep. Well. This is when did when did you actually start this band? Um. Okay, so I I started writing the stuff for Be Well um, in 2017. Um, and 
like we were doing before this, I was singing a band called Battery. Yeah. And we had gotten like I had I, I had pretty much thought that I would never write music again or perform ever again. I had that was not like on my radar at all. And uh, especially when I was producing records all the time, just because it was like you're so immersed in everybody else's shit. And I was like listening to demos nonstop and working on records and even bands that like, you know, I'm, I wasn't actively producing would still send me stuff they were working on and get my opinion. And I just had, was fully invested in like everyone else's art and not my own. And battery got, um, got an offer to play damage city and then to play a big festival in Europe. And I kind of, begrudgingly agree to do it which I kind of at the time I was like oh, I don't know I'm just like <laughs> you know what I mean like I it had been so long and um but I I decided to do it and at the time that that happened I was kind of in a, like a pretty like bad place in my life like you know I I had left doing music and I don't know that I fully anticipated the like hole in my heart that that would leave and i think that like producing records and like and and pouring so much energy into like something that did feel so important really had kind of subsided a lot of the like mental health issues that i had had throughout my life and as soon as that was gone it became pretty apparent that like that shit had never gone away that it just had been you know diffused or buried under all of the things that I was working on. And so when I didn't have, um, I had just like, I wasn't even, I don't think I was even processing like how fucked up I felt. And, um, but I was very tuned out. I was very numb. I was basically doing a whole lot of stuff to kind of like avoid feeling everything that I was feeling. And then, so I agreed to do the battery thing. And then one morning, um, our guitar player, Ken, like we had never talked about writing new battery stuff at like six o'clock in the morning. Um, I woke up and I saw that there was an email where he had sent me a song and I, I had not written music of my own in literally 20 years. And, um, I sat down like, and within five minutes of hearing it for the first time, I had written the words to it. And it was like, I don't know. It sounds like, crazy to say, like kind of dramatic to say <laughs> but i felt like connected to like a part of myself that like i don't know that i realized that i had kind of like put aside i mean you know before i started producing record i, I started playing shows when in 1990 you know like i mean playing and performing and writing was like all i really ever wanted to do start getting into producing was really more like i'm a fuck up I got kicked out of school. I dropped out of high school. I got to find something to do with my life. Like my passion was always writing and performing. And then, um, so I wrote this song, we went on the battery tour. And as soon as I wrote it, I literally didn't stop writing. I started writing my own riffs and lyrics. And I just literally was like, I need to not do this. My wife was like, it's, like really pushed me to do it. And I started writing and I, at, a, at first I think that I thought that it would be just a new battery record. Mm-hmm. Um, and like a couple, a couple things happened. <laughs> One, Ken Olden, who was like the guitar player and battery primary song, 
the only songwriter in Battery. I mean, I wrote a lot of the lyrics, but he wrote all the music. He didn't, I think that like where I come from creatively is such a different approach than him that when he heard the stuff that I was writing, I think he didn't like it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, um, we had this pretty like incredible, like meeting where like me, Ken and Mike Scheib, I'm the guitar player in be well, we all like went to like a food court and had lunch and just like, talked super honestly about like where we were at it's like what we wanted to do and kind of like um ken basically was like this doesn't feel like battery and he was right i mean i'm glad that he was honest because it ended up being a good thing but i think that like the songs were like when i write music i'm almost much more approaching it like a, a singer songwriter would would where I have the base for me as like the chord progression and then everything else gets kind of built around that where I think like for Ken and Mike, um, Schleibom, like you, you know, it's guitar with music where it's like, there's a riff and everything else gets built around that. So I understand why the songs without vocals definitely didn't make sense for them. And I appreciated Ken's honesty that he didn't like it because it actually made me have to say to myself, one, Ken's like a, you know, he, he had, he had like taken me under his wing when I was like 14 singing in battery. And like, even earlier than that, like I, I got, I met Ken Olden because I was dating that he was like in this like skinhead kind of band <laughs> called strength in numbers. Yeah. And I was dating their drummer's sister in sixth grade. And I used to go over there and watch them practice. And then he liked me and he kind of like, I mean, I learned how to write songs from him and you know like when the person that kind of like taught you tells you they don't like what you're writing it's a moment where you have to look at yourself and say do i love this am i wrong do i believe in this enough to like risk being wrong here and i really like i appreciated it as honesty but i also felt really strongly that like not only did i love what i was coming up with i really needed this in my life and i i really am just not worried at all about like getting big or you know like the goal i, I don't give a shit about any of that like yeah. i would have been i would i remember you'll know the, what the wind-up space is i remember sure. always i would always say like i want to be able to play at like the wind-up space and have my friends come like that's <laughs> the goal here like that was the big overarching be well goal was like I want to be able to play and I want my friends to be able to come. And I want like, you know, I want it to feel like honest and I want it to feel like a record that is like appropriate for who I am at this point in my life. So we kept writing and kept writing and, and like, um, never let me give up. Like I want later with several times when I was like, you know what? we should just do a battery record and fuck this. <laughs> just cause I, I, I had two things, you know, like you have the part of you that's driven by wanting to like music as like a means to express yourself, which is really the only vehicle for self-expression that I've ever had. And then the love of like performing. Right. So like the battery thing is like the love of performing is totally solved there you know like the the um kids know the songs they're fucking moshing they're stage diving you know like 
it's done. Like we had a fan base, like we had people that would come and buy the shirts and come to the shows. Like, and by doing something new, you're just totally risking, like, you know, potentially giving up that one component. That's such a huge part of it for the part that I felt like I needed the most, which was to be able to really do some things musically that I really wanted to do. And I felt like I didn't want to make like a throwback record that was like, just a youth crew record or anything like that. But I wanted it to still have that kind of like immediacy and feeling that like a a better record might have, but I wanted it to be like from the perspective of someone that's like lived a lot of life and had a lot of things happen. And, and um, so anyway, we, you know, I just, we didn't do it and we, we decided to do a new band and I, and then we recorded the whole record. At first, we, at first it was just me and Mike Schleibaum, and we had the record, most of it written, um, and we actually recorded the whole thing, and we had the drummer from Darkest Hour play drums on it, who is a fucking machine. I've never seen anybody that's like that perfect and that good in my entire life, and I've recorded a whole lot of records. Yeah. And he came in, and he kind of crushed it, but it was like too perfect. <laughs> and we literally finished the record and I was like, this doesn't feel like urgent and immediate. It doesn't feel like vulnerable. Like just felt too perfect and too pro and too mechanical for like the sentiment of the songs themselves. So we actually like scrapped the record and started over which was also a really scary thing to do but i kind of felt like we're doing this for the art and we're doing this for ourselves and kind of like it doesn't need to be out tomorrow like it needs to be the thing that we dreamt that it could be and um so anyway so that's (laughs) to sum it up it's been kind of a long time in the making and it's pretty fucking rad to have it like finally start to come out yeah, I, I, I imagine, and I've listened to it a ton because I, I really like it. Um, when you when you rewrote it, or I'm sorry, when you re-recorded it, did you rewrite things as well, or was it just a re-recording? No, we didn't rewrite. Um, we didn't rewrite any of the songs. We did add a few songs that. Um, so it initially, so what happened was, I was like, I hate. I, I don't like how the record feels. And, and, and I'm, it was really, again, hard because everybody else was like, dude, you're being insane. You're being insane. Like, this is fucking crazy, you know? And, but I mean, I've done it for long enough to, you know, I might be a little bit crazy, but I've been around some records that felt the way that they should have felt. And I was pretty certain that it didn't. And so right before that last summer, Battery went on this, incredible tour with h2o in europe and the drummer from the explosion um andrew black who was going to play drums on the battery tour i sent him the songs and like literally like the day two days before the battery tour he came to baltimore and we tracked the like a bunch of the songs like re recut the drums like looser and like with more he's a hardcore kid so it's like he fast stuff has in punk and hardcore it has to swing and if it doesn't it doesn't feel right and he just has that 
natural had that like really like super like good natural feel and i it was like the best thing that could have happened because then it was like shit this does feel right we went on the battery tour and when we got back um mike um mike had shared the newer stuff with um peter and shane who are now in the band and they loved it and we then got together and had our first like full band rehearsal which was last august and then we proceeded to write a handful of more songs so like actually on the record um andrew black is playing maybe it's about half and half um and then there's a whole bunch of new stuff that we did with Shane playing drums. And what's so fucking awesome is Andrew's like one of my favorite drummers ever in the world. And he just happens to live in California, which sucks. So, yeah. I mean, obviously he couldn't be in the band, but Shane plays they, their style and their feel and like just their kind of like musical approach is so similar. And I think that they both grew up, you know, with kind of similar influences that like you can't tell <laughs> it's two different dudes playing on the record. Like it just sits so well together. And I love like their friends and like Shane's always complimentary of Andrew and Andrew's always complimentary of Shane. And it's just like, was a good, um, real positive, positive thing. Um, but then we get the whole thing done and then it's like, we had to kind of make a decision. Like, are we going to put this out now when we can't play with like, the COVID shit or like, you know, and um, ultimately, we decided that, like, it just to put it out. Well, I'm glad you did. Um, the the I didn't I didn't know that this that was this this recent that you guys wrapped up. I guess I don't know because I've been talking to a lot of people where some of the records have been done, you know, last year, and they're just now coming out because that's the process, right? Uh, but I guess for so I guess now it's been long enough that some people are you know the records are starting to come out. E- e- yeah. So, well, we, we tracked, um, we, we tracked, um, we tracked the last batch of songs in October at that space that I had at the crown building. That was the last thing I recorded there before I closed, oh, okay. closed the okay. shop. So, um, so I mean, it, you know, it's like towards the end of, and then I said, and then I, I, I finished everything, um, just at my house which is awesome because it's like, especially like recording myself. I mean, you know, I'm recording myself and it's like, I had to like, the songs are pretty like emotional for me. So it's like, I had to try and find, figure out a way to like, you know, like, like record it in a way where I could separate myself from having to like be the producer and the singer at the same time. And that took me a minute because one one of the things that was also the original version of the record was I didn't feel like my contribution was what it should have been either. So um, I kind of had to like try a bunch of different things and kind of figure out the best approach without having like an objective producer third party <laughs> coaching me. Um, so so it was kind of a journey, and and um, I I, can't, I literally can't wait for it to be out. I'm super bummed that we can't play, and we had like so many good shows in the pipeline, yeah. and um, you know now we're just I'm staring at a screen all day, <laughs> talking on the phone to people. <laughs> you're doing what you can, you know, you're not the only yeah. one. I can tell you that uh, it's never been easier. It's never been easier to get an interview 
than it is right now. <laughs> I know it's well, so funny. The uh, just just real basic here. When did when did it, when did the band become known as Be Well? Where and where did that name come from? Um, okay, so like we the um, uh, I love this about our drummer Shane, um, but we we actually were originally going to call the band Transparent Moments, which is from this Rights of Spring song that is like my favorite. It's like. Mm, it's like one. It's like a song I think about every day of my life, kind of song. And um, and I don't, it wasn't a great band name, but it was like it felt meaningful enough to me, and it felt like it fit. Um, it felt like it fit fit the vibe of the music. And at our first rehearsal with Shane, at the end of at the end of uh, the end of the playing through a bunch of stuff. He's like, what's with this name? <laughs> I'm not feeling the name at all. Like, I want to do the name, but I'm not feeling the name. And uh, it was, uh, I was glad. I mean, it was like, it was good because like, I was like a little bit on the fence. And then to like, have, you know, someone like that. Like, it's funny with band, band names kind of suck. Period. They do. Like, they're always hard. And then you always have the feeling like, it'll just, you know, you'll name it. It'll become the band and it won't matter. But I did have a thing where, like, every time I said, oh, I'm doing this new band, Transparent Moments, like, it just didn't feel right. So as soon as he said it, I kind of knew that he was right. And um, I have this, like, working list of um, of band names that I ended up sending to the dudes. And um, Be Well was one of them. And the thing that I kind of loved about the name is that I – to me, it it was like a sad name, and to them, it was like a hopeful, like positive name. And I kind of realized as soon as like they expressed that they liked that aspect of it, it kind of hit me that like fits the record. Like, to me, the record is like it's really like a painful record for me in a lot of ways, but it is also like something that has brought me more joy and more like kind of like, I don't know, like, like kind of like self, like it's, it's made me feel much more myself, like the process of making it and talking about it and sharing these experiences with people. And so to me, it like, it straddles that like hopeful, happy feeling and the like dark, aspects of the record together and can can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people so it was cool because they liked the name and peter our guitar player who's like an also like an amazing artist kind of like came to me with like like logos <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. he didn't just say let's call it be well like he sent me some art that said be well and it was really cool to like see that and it was like oh shit that feels like fucking perfect and, and then that was it that was the, and then so we 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 played our first show last September, and um, yeah, and then you know, I think what I mean, it's it it sucks because like the last batch of shows, like we in February we did um, some dates with Hot Water Music up in Boston, and then we had our record release show in DC and that was like sold out and totally fucking amazing. I mean, it was like even better than playing at the wind up space and having my friends come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but, 
but it was it was like the one thing I'm thankful for is that like we had that show and I got a flash of like, wow, this is like really is half. Like there were people there that I don't know who cared. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? And like, I, it, it, at least we kind of went into the wilderness of like COVID isolation, knowing that like it was resonating with some people and like it, it was like, we were getting like the live show was really coming together and like people were connecting with it. So I am now just desperate to play again. Like I just can't fucking wait to play. And I have no idea when that's going to happen. Well, that's awesome. Especially to get that kind of, uh, that kind of preview of things to come, hopefully. Um, a couple yeah, of things, yeah, for sure. A couple of things you said there uh, that I wanted, well, I, I wanted to get to eventually, not quite yet, but the, the way you were describing the name, and you know the honesty and vulnerability and all, all that, but also there's some dark and depressing, but hopeful still. Yeah, I want to get to that in a minute. But first, I wanted to just go back to the the band name shit, talking about uh, how dumb band names are and how much of a pain in the ass it is. I, I was in a, a in a band in Baltimore, and uh, we <laughs> the way we got our name um, was we were sitting in. Do you know the Do you know the warehouse? Maybe you'll know it by me saying this. The warehouse that HR lived in. Do you know which warehouse I'm talking about? I don't. There, it was, it, we used to call it, we used to call it Pablo's warehouse. It was it's like near near where 83 comes into the city. Um, I don't know exactly which streets, but but anyway, the, the HR lived in a room there, and then the rest was like a couple practice spaces, like maybe next step up would practice in there. Or we our band was in yeah, there. Uh, J, JR is my JR is my neighbor. Oh, is he? Oh, tell him I said hello. Yeah, uh, um, I will. Uh, anyway. We were just sitting in there one night drinking Natty Bo while practicing, and we're like, "What are we gonna call the fucking band?" And then, you know, you just look at the can from the plan Land of Pleasant Living. I'm like, all right, we're Pleasant Living, oh. and, that, and, that, and that was the name of the like, that, like that's it. It's it's stupid. It sucks. But that's but a good we're, band name. But we're doing it anyway, and that's what it was for. <laughs> it was just Pleasant yeah. Living, you know. And that, that's, but the, but the fucking the. the the way people try to figure out band names and ping them back and forth and how hard it is to come up with something original and to be as I think you, I think you nailed it with be well, especially like you're saying with the content of the music. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Well, the funny, the band name thing is really funny actually because, um, so battery before we were battery, we were called fury yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and Jason Farrell from Swayze, who's like a fucking sweetheart and like the be- one of the best guitar players to ever live, in my opinion, um, had had a band called Fury, and he asked us to change our name, <laughs> and um, and um, so for I nobody consulted me on changing it to Battery, which I is kind of a, like the worst name, but um, it was my brother ended up putting the seven inch out and like, it just like showed up at the house, like that. Oh, it's, it's battery now. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? But on the, on the, on the, um, inlay of the seven inch, it says on when it says, um, we don't care what Jason Merrill says, we're still fury, <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty awesome. And I've actually heard through the grapevine. I don't know if this is true. If you ever interview anybody involved, you can find out, but I've, I've heard that he's not happy about the band Fury being called Fury now either. 
which I love that. I love that band. So <laughs> some things you gotta let go, you know. That's right. <laughs> well, all right. Back, let's give. Go, I want to turn back to this uh, to to the record here because, like, like I've said, I've been listening to it a ton. And uh, I don't think, awesome. honestly, I don't think I expected to like it as much as I did. And I don't know why I say that. I just, well, you know, I, can, I, I do know why I say it. You know because, what's funny? It's funny you say that because I, that is the most common, that, that has been said to me more really? than anything. Yeah, I mean. Okay, well, let me, I mean, can, can yeah. I explain what why I think I think that I think yes. I thought that I think I thought that the same reason I was talking to well I was talking to Rob Fish for a recent interview with him too for the Every Scar is a Story thing. Yes, I, I listened to that episode. It was great. okay. okay. I love thank, Rob. Fish. Thank you. Yeah. Um. And great interview. And I was thinking, like, as I was, you know, I know I knew I was going to talk to you in the near near future as well. Um, but the the th- when when old hardcore dudes start new bands. It's usually just old hardcore dudes starting new bands, and it doesn't it doesn't live up to what it was or what they were doing before. It feels half ass. It feels like a, I don't know. It feels like they're not really invested in what their thing. Not that Be Well is exactly a hardcore band or whatever, whatever you want to call it, you know. Um, but I, I just don't have. I just don't. It doesn't feel half assed now. Like Be, Be Well doesn't feel like that. Every scar has a story. Doesn't feel like that. Like it's just. It feels well real. I think that some some of it comes from from like and i appreciate you saying that um some of it i think there there are a couple things i think one um i think the fact that like i stopped writing music in 1999 of my own like and then and then continued to be you know around like some pretty incredible records and musicians and like like i feel like I'm not like trying to get back to something, you know, like, like this stuff has just been like a huge part of me and I'm, I'm a much better songwriter than I ever was. Right. Like, I mean, I don't mean that in an egotistical way. I mean, just like I was a pretty good songwriter when I was a kid. And then I have been surrounded by the best of the best literally for the last 20 years. And you know, that it, by osmosis it does kind of <laughs> sink into you like what you're looking to hear from out of a song kind of evolves and changes and like and um the other thing is i feel like yeah i feel like like i have had like a very colorful life to draw from in some ways and like like i couldn't have written this record when i was 20 years old like i just i just didn't have the the perspective and the life and the experiences. And I mean, so it's funny because you, 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 when you're young, you have like the, like the, the advantage I had as Brian McTernan, the 20 year old singer of battery is that like, I could sleep on floors every night, didn't have any financial responsibilities, like had all of this just like un un uncontrolled like emotion that I couldn't understand. And like, and like all of, you know, and those are the things that you have as an advantage when you're like a young band. Mm -hmm. And then now uh, it's like, I'm, I'm a very experienced musician and songwriter. And I have a lot of clarity on my life and emotions and a whole lot of like, things to draw from so 
it's like kind of using the strengths that you have to your your advantage in, in some ways, I guess. I mean, it, it wasn't calculated in that way, but I do think that for everything that's harder about being older and trying to do this, there are some benefits that like, you know, the life I've lived has been like wild. And, you know, I mean, like, you know, I like fucking like grew up in a fucked up house and was in a mental hospital and got kicked out of school and then toured the world and, and had rode the waves of ups and downs of making records and have a kid now and have like, seen had friends die and had you know people that i know like come out that they were they're gay or have been raped or had all these awful things happen and you kind of like my clarity on like and kind of wisdom that i now have on like life and the world around me is better than it was when i was younger and so like for everything that we don't have as like older people doing this there is like there are things that we do. And I think that like, I tried to be like really fucking brutally honest with myself when I wrote the lyrics for this record. And like, I feel like I, 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 I couldn't have, I couldn't have done that when I was 20, you know, and I couldn't, I didn't have the same experiences. And so had I gone the like, hey, this is going to be a new battery record route. I think it may have very well been disappointing, you know, because I, I just don't know that, that contextually a lot of these lyrics would have fit into that existing mold well. And I feel like I wouldn't have been drawing on my experiences as a songwriter and like the inspiration that I've drawn from all the incredible like songwriters I've gotten to work with, had we just kind of stuck to that mold. So yeah, I appreciate it. And I, and I I really didn't know what people would think. I mean, I wasn't worried that I wasn't worried that like the music wouldn't be good or sound good. That was like everybody in the band's fucking rad and awesome and like still involved in music. So that wasn't a concern. My, my, my biggest concern was like, I really kind of put myself out there in a way that I've never had in my entire life. And I was fully prepared for like people to not get it. And for people to be like, Oh, what's this fucking whiny motherfucker talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's interesting actually, because I think I was thinking this when, um, when you talk to Rob and like, I think that like, you know, we're very different people, Rob and I, but I think like our motivation for wanting to do this at this point in our life is, is similar. And like, um, you know, I, I can't speak with the same eloquence that he can on it, but I mean, I really do truly believe that like hardcore and punk and music in general saved my life. I mean, I was a very, very fucked up kid. I like, I'm not straight edge now, but, but, but having like straight edge exist as a thing you could be and be like, cool, (laughs) you know, like still like have a community and have things to do and have, you know, I mean, I, I I, like, and I think that, you know, I had, I not had that, had I not had hardcore shows to go to, had I not had people you know, giving me the opportunities and like having the kind of community that surrounds it all when I was younger, I don't know what my life would have turned into, you know, 
Um, so I am definitely approaching this with like a sincere sense of like gratitude towards for this community. And, um, and it's just been like really fucking cool. Like people have been awesome. I've met tons of new people like yourself that like care and like have related to the record and like have taken time to talk to me about it. And it's, it's been very, very, very cool. That's awesome. And I think, I think it's a good, good timing. Uh, I don't know how I say socially, maybe uh, people are, aren't don't i don't know that's kind of two sides of this coin people aren't as much of a dick aren't as much as dicks yeah, i don't know did i say that correctly like you know people are more open to having uh what you call like an, an emotional record like i don't know right. it, it seems this seems more more accepting but at the same time we got a <laughs> we got quite the opposite through a lot of other shit but um but right. the, but the but the uh but what, what i find so appealing about this record is that there is, like I said, that, that honesty and vulnerability throughout the, the weight and the cost, uh, but it's presented differently. Um, like it, like so, like it could be overwhelmingly dark and depressing, but it, but there's like this hope and optimism that kind of permeates. Uh, was that like a difficult balance? Well, I to think. Find? To, I, yeah, I mean, I think part of it is that. It, like so my goals with the record were like one to as a vehicle to like express something that i needed to say like i that was inside of me that needed to come out but also i fucking just love punk and hardcore and i love music and like i wanted it to also be like catchy and fun to listen to and have like great breakdowns and have great you know yeah so i mean you know, it's weird because it's like, I kind of love that people think it's like a hopeful, positive record. And then other people like find something totally different in it. And for me, it's been kind of all of those things. Like, it was really, really hard to write this record. Like, I'm not going to like pretend that it wasn't like I, I not only had to say things to myself that like I have been kind of scared to say for a very long time but then i had to make a decision like that i was okay putting that out in the world and having people that i love dearly who never knew those things about me see them and hear them and like that 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 has like that runs the gamut kind of emotionally you know all of it together where it's like it's a cathartic record that like kind of like music saved me again <laughs> not to sound like teen angst drama, but I mean, really like when I was a kid, it was my lifeline because I had a very fucked up home life and it became my religion and my community and my family. And then when I needed it again, now it's there. And it's like, I mean, I think that's like for people like us that have like committed our lives to being like the, the fabric of part of this, you know, it is really like inspiring and incredible, like how much it does give back. Um, and how a lot of things that I kind of like, I mean, I literally have lived my life feeling like if people knew this stuff about me, they would not want to have anything to do with me. Wouldn't, you know, like I know that's not reasonable. I know it's not rational. I totally know that <laughs> it's just how I felt. And yeah, to finally kind of like get it out there and have the reaction be like, dude, I love you. Like, dude, I felt like this a thousand times. Like, Hey dude, I see you. 
um, like I'll give you the, the, um, like, like, uh, so Texas is the reason was like one of my, you know, one of the first bands that I ever, I ever recorded, um, in Boston when I was like kind of setting off as a producer. And like, I, I'd known all those guys for a really long time. And, um, and like, they played such a huge role in kind of my life as like, and my success as a producer that I really, and antimatter would, I don't know if, how familiar you, you are with it, but Norm from Texas is the reason did this just incredible fan scene when, um, in the, in the nineties where, to me, it was like, I kind of processed music through the lens of his writing. Like I could not wait to see what he was going to say about anything in particular. So I really wanted to have Norm write the bio for the Be Well record. And I sent him the record and I was super nervous because I respect him so much about like what he would say. Mm-hmm. And I just got this email back that was like, dude, like, I can't remember exactly, but basically like I felt so much of this so many times I'm like, I love you and I see you. And I just was like, wow, like, wow. Like, I mean, it's hard to even explain how much that meant to me to have someone that I love and respect that much, have that reaction to something I was so afraid to do in the first place. Um, so it's been, it's been, it's been fucking awesome, man. And I, uh, I think I, that balance is hard and it was fun because it's like, even with the art, it was like finding the balance to like, and one of the ways that I kind of have tried to like do that is try and have everybody that's involved with the band, people that I like know that their motivation is like love of the band and love of us as people. So like my wife did, the, took all the photos on the record and like Norm did the bio. And even like when we did the videos, like EVR sent us all these like dudes and I just, I want to have everybody involved, like have like be from the hardcore world. Like I want people to, I want, like, I feel much more comfortable around hardcore kids. (laughs) And so like we had our friends who were like hardcore kids who had never done music videos before do the videos even. Um, And it's just like the way that I've like keeping it like that kind of family community vibe has really helped me one stay honest with myself because it's like, you know, you're surrounding yourself with people that know you can't bullshit, you know? Mm-hmm. And two, being honest with myself that in order to kind of like put myself out there in the way that I kind of have to, to make this a thing to like, make sure that the people that like are involved are like their motivation is like honest and real as well. Well, that's I didn't I didn't know all that stuff, of course, and and that's that's all really awesome to hear. Um, I had no idea this was as uh, as in house as as you're saying, and uh, that I mean, even I, I was going to ask you too about the uh, the the cover art, particularly because I mean, that just looks like a picture on what the Beltway or something. What is there a significance yep. to this? Um. Well, well, yeah. I mean, so like like 90% of the lyrics on the record, I kind of wrote uh, like while I was like, I I had taken this job that like made me like totally miserable. And I was like alone all the time, just driving and driving and driving. Like that was like what I was doing, going from place to place. And honestly, it was like the first time in my life I'd ever been alone (laughs) that much. (laughs) And, um, and, um, 
you know, the good thing about it was it kind of forced me to like be alone with my thoughts, which had, you know, I spent my whole life, like never having a silent moment, like always listening to music, always on the phone, always texting, always doing something. And I kind of like, you know, being by myself in that way was important and totally hard at the same time. So I was like, I felt like, like when I had, when I saw that photo, it kind of like felt a whole lot like (laughs) the way I felt and how the record felt to me, which is like, I'm going somewhere and it's going to be like a messy trip, (laughs) (laughs) but I got to get there and I got to make it work. Like, I think that's like what it kind of felt like to me as soon as I saw the photo and what was really cool is I then sent it to like the guys and everybody was like, dude, that's it. Like that feels, um, that feels like the record. Um, what's really cool is there's actually like a version, a European version of the record with a totally different album cover that is like a much more kind of like hopeful look to it. And yeah. I also love looking at both of them together because it then kind of completes the circle a little bit for me. Yeah, very cool. I didn't know about that one. Yeah. Well, so so this uh, this whole thing comes out. Um, what is what is it? August August twenty first, right? That's the official. Yes. And is that mm-hmm. is that physical and digital? Yep, physical and digital. So actually, I have the physical records, like my copies of the record here, and it's like it's a it's so funny because you wouldn't think, you know, I, I've. I've been, I've made hundreds of records. So it's yeah. like, you would think that at some point, like that thrill would wear, wear out, wear off. I literally like, I opened that box. I don't think anything has ever like brought me that much joy. <laughs> <laughs> just like, it's just fucking cool, man. It's like, I don't know. I like to be able to do this at this point in my life after I thought that I would never, ever do anything like this before and to have it go so well is so fucking cool that's incredible and so i, I always ask people like what what are you most looking forward to with the with the release of your record and i know sometimes sometimes for some people it is just having it in their hands sometimes it's other people hearing it sometimes it's playing the songs live but now we're kind of down to down you're down to like two options now <laughs> people hearing yeah. it or having well, it in your hand the way that records come out now where, and I get, I get it because you have to like, there's so much noise in the world. You have to kind of like space it out and promote it in a certain way. Like the only thing that I find hard is that to me, it's like an album. Yeah. And I feel like when you only hear little bits and pieces of it, it it's like, it's hard to like process what it's going to all feel like together. And I feel like when you hear all of the songs together, it does feel more like a complete piece of work than the individual components do by themselves. So I just can't wait for it all to be out. (laughs) And, um, and uh, I'm really excited because we have another um, super, super, super cool video that we made for um, the second song on the record. That's called magic that um, will come out with the release of the record. And that was so fun to make. And um, you know, it's like, I never fucking thought in a million years I would be like in a music video. Like if you, I hate my having my picture taken. I don't think I've looked in like a mirror in like 
15 years. I mean, like I fucking, I don't post on Instagram. I mean, I, everything that I'm having to do right now is so out of my comfort zone. And really like even this, like I haven't done interviews. I've tried to be like behind the scenes person and um, it's been really good. Like it's, it's, it's fun. And it's kind of like, it's, it's made me kind of like, you know, get more comfortable with myself in a lot of ways. I mean, even just the interviews and like photo shoots and shit like that, where I'm like, Oh God, (laughs) but it's cool. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, it's been a little bit of a wild ride. And then the response has been rad. It's just like, I'm like, I can't believe this. Like, I think we will be able to play at the windup space one day. (laughs) Is the windup space still operating? I think it was sold. I I thought thought it got closed. No, someone else took it over, and I feel so bad for the people that took that over and then the people that took over the auto bar because it's like, it's like those places are so important, but like it's just so hard to fucking imagine that they're ever going to be able to like how no business that isn't like a big corporation builds themselves to be able to be essentially out of business and still have all of the expenses for months and months. Right. And that's not something that goes into a business plan. No. (laughs) And then the, the U S government doesn't like, they don't value the arts. So it's not like there's a bailout for like, you know, for artists and, and venues and places like that. And I, sadly, I think that like just the landscape of live music may never quite be the same again. Yeah, and uh, you know I'm pretty, uh, what I guess what would be the word unsympathetic. I guess like when I when I really think about it towards towards the venue owners and operators. But then when we're talking about like not like I'm not saying shit about them. You know I'm just not I'm just careless. I'm not putting it in my thoughts. But now like when you you're, right. you're talking about places like like the Autobar, I love the Autobar. The Autobar. I have so many friends right. who who still work there. Um, yeah, yeah, I think I think uh, what's her name? One of the she she bought it. One of the employees. A few, yeah right yeah um and i I see now like they're doing you know they're doing outside (laughs) they're doing outside bar service which is cool because i I don't want to see it go anywhere um i know the sidebar was in trouble before uh coronavirus so i don't know how that's going to work out but the but yeah yeah i hope these places can make it but i I, um back to what you were saying about you doing interviews you sound totally comfortable and so so (laughs) you're, you're doing great adam um Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, what the, what the fuck was, was that last thing I wanted to ask you? Um, yeah, you told me about the reactions. Obviously, you can't play can't play many shows right now. Um, we have what sucks is we have like a, a, a hell date in October to have a record release show, and we actually have like some dates that I really fucking wanted to do in November with. Um, Every Scar is a Story and Bitter Branches and possibly Truth Cult, um, which would be fucking awesome, but it really doesn't feel like they're going to happen. I mean, yeah. you know, so it's like we're not even announcing them because it's like, I just don't want to announce shit and like, while shit is still getting worse. Um, we have a European tour booked in March that does feel like it might happen because they've been a lot more responsible and as long as like, shit can get under control enough here that we are allowed to go there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Germany in particular, and really, really like a lot of those venues have support from the government. And, um, 
and and um and they're like the covid stuff there is just people are fucking responsible and they wear masks and they you know they're social distancing and i mean there are fucking schools where like some of them were back in may and it's like these fucking psychos here that are like <laughs> i don't know i mean it sounds like a weird thing to say but it's like like you know my dad was drafted to go to vietnam right for country yeah. and you have these fucking people that feel like like that wasn't like his will to go do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and it, it, you have these people that like for two months don't want to put a mask on to go to Wegmans or whatever. The <laughs> <thing is. laughs> so, and they think that they're being like patriotic. It's like the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard. It's just not a big fucking deal. And it's their smart, responsible thing to do. And then ultimately like, you know, we're all going to pay the price forever because nobody wanted to make so many people didn't want to make real sacrifices. And, um, is it a sacrifice though? You know, I mean, that's, that's the, it's not, that's, I, I, I did an interview just yesterday, uh, with the guy named Ethan McCarthy he does this band primitive man. And, uh, he just brought up, you know, the most simple, but great point. He was like, you know, they say like, if we just wear masks and social distance for 60 days, like then we'll pretty much be good. And he's like, can we just try that? Like, yeah, but exactly. the answer is like, no. We but can't. I, I we kinda, can't try. I kind of like. I kind of like the mask thing because, like, I live in my biggest fear in the world is always being um, recognized <laughs> by people. <laughs> it's funny actually because this is like I became like so socially phobic when I was a produ- producer because if I went to a show, Everybody I always you. either had like idiots coming up to me. So it's a funny thing because like as a musician, I don't think most people think I could write a song like that. Right. But everyone thinks they're a producer, right? Everybody yeah. thinks that like they know. And it's like, so you have like people that come up to you and they want to talk to you, but they don't want to kiss your ass. Right. So they will <laughs> come up and be like, so what the fuck's up with that snare sound on the turnstile? Record? And it's like, dude, all I wanted to do was come to a show and see my friends play. Like, I really don't want to be like having this conversation or I would then go backstage. And I literally felt like I couldn't talk to a band without them feeling like I was trying to like produce their record. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I'm like, Hey dude, good show. Oh, you know, we're already recording the record with uh, Steve Abbott. So I'm like, did I say anything? Shitty record. Like I just said, but so, like, so I literally like, I just like, that was kind of what prompted me very early on to tell bands. Like, I don't ever want to see a picture of me. Like <laughs> if you have video people come in, I don't want to be in it. I don't want to be in a picture. I don't want to like, I didn't do interviews. I didn't do any of it. And part of it is that I just didn't want to be able to like, have to like deal with people being like, Oh, that's Brian McTurnan. You know, like, not like it's a big deal, but it's like, so the mask thing kind of might work for me because I could just be, uh, yeah, and you, you, know, you can you can carry it on. You can you can keep doing it for a while, you know. Like, yeah, I might just do that. Like how long how long it. did the, did uh, those Asian countries drag out the SARS masks? You know, it's like a normal thing, oh right? We call them SARS oh. masks. Like, I don't yeah. I don't even remember well, when funny, SARS was. I remember I went to Hong Kong um, 
oh my god that was a long fucking time ago and everybody was wearing masks and i was like what the fuck is this <laughs> but the countries that have done that shit is under control like yeah. people here are so fucking stupid and like what makes people think it's like like we wear seat belts right we stop at red lights <laughs> it's fine to have some fucking laws and rules like it's anyway it's fucking crazy man <laughs> it is it's not but so. i hope i hope the shit gets under control i hope that like i can i really miss like seeing like human beings that aren't my wife and daughter <laughs> <laughs> and then we're we're all work we're you know we're all yeah so my studio setup is now at my house and and um my wife for a whole other host of reasons hasn't hasn't worked in a year and a half because she's a um she's a federal whistleblower like she came out and um reported like some like patient care issues at the VA and they tried to fire her yeah so she is actually like testified in front of congress several times now and like we're knee deep in some like pretty fucking awful shit and um she's an absolute badass and thank god that someone did what she did because i mean honestly like i'm not brave the way that she is like she like i mean i can't get into the details of what she did but she did something amazing for a patient and fully knew that there might be repercussions and like fully said like i don't care like doing the right thing matters and um and then they tried to fire her and she went to like an investigator at um at Congress, they like had her come in and Congress, believe it or not, stepped in and said, like, you can't do this. Like, we got to get to the bottom of what happened. So at least she's, she's getting paid right now. Um, but what sucks for her is she loves her job and she really like, um, she ran the methadone clinic at the Baltimore VA and she loved these guys and these, like, she knew, knows all their kids and all their, you know, their family and like has been invested in their lives forever and like really cares about them. And it's a loss for them because, you know, she's like saw the best in them and really cared. And now it's like, just, you know, she can't help them anymore. She can't help them. And, and a lot of them have died. I mean, that's the fucking fucked up thing about like being like a heroin addicted homeless person in Baltimore is a rough, rough thing to be. And like, if you don't have anybody looking out for you or caring about you or seeing you as a human, it's like, you know, I mean, it's, it's fucking awful. That's insane. Damn. That's crazy. Yep. Totally crazy. Wow. (laughs) Well, shit. I don't know how to follow that up, but (laughs) yeah. We talked about a lot. We did. We covered a lot here. Thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. It was, it was a, a fun pleasure. One. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. All right. Well, let's run through some some things here again. Um, Be Well, The Weight and the Cost, Equal Vision Records, August 21st. Is and, that all and, and, and End Hits Records in Europe. End Hits Records in Europe. And there's a, there's a physical, yeah. you're doing all, all, all versions, vinyl, CD. Yep. Tape. Yep. Everything, cassette, CD, yeah, everything. Which is plenty seven inch. I've, I've never, I never had one of those before, and it's, uh, yeah. So there's, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of stuff. Awesome. Well, I, like I said, I, I love this record, um, and uh, I, th- I think 
many more people are as well are, are going to as well i think it's a very cool a very unique sound for right now too i don't think anybody else is doing this so um i'm looking forward to more people hearing it you know it's pretty funny so like so i've recorded a lot of bands but really strike anywhere is like literally like one of my favorite bands of all time literally like i don't know that i've ever i like it scratches like every itch for me like as people, as a sound, the band, just like how true they've been to like everything I've ever done. And then like Thomas being like, literally like the shit that's going on in the world. Like, like he was singing about this before I was even thinking about it. And, um, and I sent him the be well record and he called me and was like, you know, what's really cool. It's like our records are coming out like really close to each other. And they kind of like bookend this moment, like with strike anywhere being like the political, side of things and be well kind of being the like isolation quarantine loneliness kind of yeah. part of things <laughs> and like i'm not sure that anybody else will process it that way but like i loved that and i kind of like i kind of like loved that the two records together are so fucking different but like can still live in the same world somehow and that's that's one of the coolest things about like punk and hardcore you know what i mean it's not like it isn't like a set thing. And, um, you know, I don't know. I thought that was really cool. That is cool. That's a very insightful observation. One, one that would I would have never looked at. I never would have seen that. Oh, that's, that's... It, and, and to have like, essentially like my hero. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right. It's funny to like, I, I've always tried. I mean, I love the bands that I've gotten to record. And like, I, I like, I love it. I never stopped being a fan like I'll never fucking get tired of like, you know, seeing them or feeling like, you know, like, I mean, he's just, he's just such a fucking amazing human being and such an inspirational person. And like, I'm really thankful that he exists in this moment. I mean, I feel like the thing I love about him in particular is that it's not so much of like the response to like the, the, what's happening in the world right now is just pure outrage where I feel like Thomas has credibly been talking about all of this literally since the day I met him, literally since the day I met him. And he has a um, lens that he sees the world through that is like one part outrage, but like also like productivity and hopefulness. And like, that's like a huge part of the, I just feel like his voice right now is really critical and I'm thankful for it. That's yeah. That's that's a very good point, and um, that goes to uh, a, a larger thing that a friend of mine pointed out. Uh, I don't. You might know the guy, uh, Josh. Josh Hart. He's a tattoo artist down there around Baltimore. I think he's in Towson now. But uh, played in a lot of hardcore bands, a lot of the heavier hardcore bands. Stout, Curse of Years. You know, going goes back quite a while. And he brought up a great point uh, right around the when the like the the, the George Floyd thing started. And he's just like, remember how you're always asking, how people were always complaining about, you know, the, that music. Nobody, I can't understand what they're screaming about. And he's like, this is what we've been fucking screaming about. This type, like, yeah, he's like, yeah, all this, you know, all, all the subject matter that's being out there, and you know, everybody's uh, protesting on the streets about is the same shit. And not saying like whatever, it, that's the same shit that's been being said in hardcore and punk rock for you know thirty years. 
like and I, I think I think sometimes when I when I like recently I've been going through my record collection listening to older records and it kind of makes me proud to hear that the the voice of the message has always kind of been the same it's a shame it's never really been heard but yeah people have been saying this shit well, for a very long time and you know oh yeah unfortunately the results are limited but you know that's it's it is yeah. it is what's been the message well, it, it now says Black Lives Matter outside the White House. So it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, like it's it's it, it things are maybe not changing as quickly as they should. But I think that there is like, um, I think that it's like an important moment, and you know, it's um, and I think that there's like awareness. The awareness is like even my awareness is on. Um, you know, like you know, I'm reflecting on how much shit because of the privilege that I've had in my life, I wasn't aware of. Right. Um, yeah. and, and, and it's interesting actually, because when I was working that the job that I had that would made me so miserable, a lot of what I was doing, um, I spent a lot of time in like some really, really rough areas in Baltimore. And that was like, really like one of the, like was such a wake up call to me in terms of like, my daughter was young and and seeing Pete, seeing kids that were her age sitting on like stoops outside of burned down houses on Monroe Street and thinking like how the fuck is this like my daughter literally thinks she could be anything like and these, and these kids don't have a chance and like how is this kid going to have the same opportunity that she's going to have like yeah i mean it was literally shocking like i just hadn't spent time in communities like that and like and it really was like you know it was a was a wake-up call for me and it was um and like having the kind of perspective of like wow that like my daughter gives me a lot of perspective in life period because it's like I spend so much time worrying about her and thinking about her and caring, wanting the best things for her and, and all of that. And then you then do see like, you know, very possibly for kids that live in areas like that, some of the stablest people in the neighborhood may be dealing drugs and, yeah. and, 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 and how, how do you expect someone that has had their whole life and, and be that way ever think that life could be more than that. Like I remember um, we, well, when we were in Patterson park, there was like a little kid that would come by our house on his bike all the time. He had never been out of Baltimore. He'd never been in the tunnel. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, like when you grow up with like poverty and racism and things on that level, like, what you think the world is, is so different and it's so limiting and it's like really, really sad. And I think it is really important that these conversations are happening now. And I think I'm relooking at everything in my life in a different way because of it. So, yeah, if, yeah, it's, it's, it's about time. A lot of us do. So, you know, it sucks. Yeah. It sucks. It took us this long, but you know, it's better late than never, I guess, you know, we can't say much yep. more. But hey, yeah. Brian. But I totally, totally appreciate this conversation. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, it was great. And I uh, really get have Thomas me. have Thomas on. Yeah, sure. That's that. That's your next podcast, Thomas so, Barnett. Yeah, hook me up. 
Let's do it. <laughs> I will. Okay. Uh, all right, man. All right, buddy. Thank all you right. so much. Yep. I'll talk to you soon. All right, bye. Okay. Bye. And that song there at the end was confessional off of the weight and the cost. Uh, that's my favorite song on the record, by the way. It's the last track. Uh, super catchy, as I'm sure you've heard. And uh, and it's just, just again, a great record. Um, be sure to get it when it comes out on Equal Vision Records. Uh, that's it for this one, mostly. Um, if you want to know what's coming up, 
you have to tune in next week. Although I have been posting my upcoming guests on Instagram, which is unlike me, but I have been doing it. That's at getting underscore it underscore out underscore underscore podcast. Um, what else? You can you can go to gettingitout.net, though there's not much there yet. There will be something eventually. I, I realize I'm like eight months into saying that, but I'm still saying it. Um, what, what, what else we got going on? The Facebook page, there's always something happening there. Maybe not much, but there's something happening there. www.facebook.com slash gettingitoutpodcast. And if you go to Twitter at gettingitoutpod, you'll just find all the things that are posted on the other stuff. So <laughs> not really selling the socials too hard, but that's that's where they are. Um, I'm going to end this one with this, with a new song from uh, the metalcore band Misery Signals. Uh, you might know them. You might not know them. But they're, uh, I guess, uh, as Metalcore goes, uh, an older band. Um, but uh, they got a new record that's uh, coming out, um, I don't know, August 7th, today, I guess. Uh, the song's called Sunlifter, and it's a track off of that. So here it is. Check it out. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.